1: And you're listening to Mistress Carrie Hi everybody, this is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters And you're listening to the one, the only
0: It's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 146 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Johannes Eckerstrom from Avatar, I want to let you know what's new in the shop at mistresscarrie.com. If you're a guitar player or you know one or you just like to collect guitar picks, you can now get a 10-pack of Mistress Carrie guitar picks in the shop. Log on to mistresscarrie.com and click shop and you'll find... Guitar picks, beanies, t-shirts, hoodies. You can outfit your bar with a 7-in-1 bartender tool, coasters, pint glasses, and shot glasses. There's Mistress Carrie sticker packs, coffee mugs, and if you're headed to a sporting event or a concert, check out the approved clear plastic waste bag. You'll find all that and more in the shop at MistressCarrie.com. My guest this week is the lead singer of Avatar. His name is Johannes Eckerstrom and now is out on the road supporting Avatar's latest album, Dance Devil Dance. They'll be in Boston on May 24th at the Paradise Rock Club. So I thought I'd catch up with Johannes to talk about songwriting, working through the pandemic, the distinct differences between growing up in the U.S. versus growing up in Sweden. We talked about touring and the passion of metal fans and We talked about his collaboration with Lizzie Hale on the latest album. So allow me to introduce you to Johannes Eckerstrom from Avatar. Johannes, nice to meet you.
1: Nice to meet you too. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Congratulations on the release of the album. You must be happy to finally have it out.
1: Yes, of course. I'm also particularly happy that this time... We did something at the day of release like we are on tour in the uk right now and we came here one day early to have a signing q a meet and greet kind of thing in a record store in london which meant that we were among people who got to hear it for the first time that day and everything and and share it with someone it's not always that we have done it like that many times we've been scheduling has put put us on the road uh, in a way where we are like one week in already playing new songs on stage before people actually get to hear the recordings of it and stuff. So it's this one and the last one, because that was during the pandemic, so we made an online event of it, has been the two where we really, truly mark the beginning of something together with others. So no, it, it, that was nice. And uh, from there on, it's even nicer now when it's out there in the world and people can build their own relationship to it
0: usually the first question i ask a musician when i start talking to them is is where are they because half the time they don't know so you answered the question you're in england right now
1: well now i'm in scotland actually so we are up in in glasgow
0: when you start working and and start the process of of working on a new record Mm. It kind of kickstarts this whole machine all over again. The songwriting oh, yeah. process, the recording process, and then working on all the visuals, the videos, figuring mm. out the single. How long ago did that process start for this album, for it to just get released?
1: This had an earlier start than most. Because, again, because of the pandemic that we put out Hunting Gatherer, we chose very early on to not. Postpone it. Postpone the release, uh, like because even if we wouldn't be able to tour it to promote it the way we wanted to, still artistically, it, every album belongs first and foremost to the time it was written in, and people knew our audience knew that we were working on it and had finished it. We've been very open about it, and it would feel not fair to to people who you know who we uh, who are into us and supporting us to not putting out putting something out at that time so uh but then of course we couldn't tour as much as we <laughs> as we otherwise would have so that was me, a reason
0: yeah. a lot of bands didn't want to release a record because they wanted to be yeah. able to tour and play the songs
1: which which i can get uh but also the other side of it again is like it would have been a mentally it didn't make sense to us to release something when it would feel old to us like we you know it's a it's a if you put music out in the world, I mean, it, I also do music that is for no one, meaning I sit by the piano and just diddle around and uh, and that's, you know, and, and that's for no one and that's fine. There's, not, there's nothing wrong in doing music like that. But if you do music that you intend to share with the world, then for me, us, it felt like a certain level of respect that goes into doing it the way we did. And also, what else should we have done otherwise? You know, like we still it still led to work for us, meaning we did the live streams, we did things, we did the videos. We continued to be a band, which was challenging in that period to do. And we tried to find every possible out- out- output we could to do that. So it was important. But in the lack of as many outputs for that as we would usually had, meaning go on the road and everything, um, I kinda, um, for me, it started with I did a little folder on my computer that I named solo, thinking, okay, I have all this time in the world not to write music. Maybe I do not Avatar for a bit. What would that be like? And you know, I did a couple of bad ideas, and then one idea was good, and then I wanted to send it to Jonas right away and have him uh, re-record my uh, my crappy guitar playing. And oh, this is an Avatar song now. Okay, we're off to the races. So, so uh, yeah, it was a longer journey uh, this time, which was cool, like because. You get, you know, it's one thing that as we are as eclectic as we are to really build a unified vision and a common goal, um, it's always a certain process and you, you just get to not only write a whole lot of songs and try things out, but really think about what are we putting together here or well, which of your songs match, my, which of my songs the best and around us songwriters in the band. So really get to build build this album very thoroughly in a way that uh, that it was time to do.
0: When it came to the pandemic, bands found themselves idle for the first time in their career, a lot of them. And mm. when it came to being creative, bands had to kind of decide, am I going to reflect the craziness that is the world mm. in this music? Or am I going to create music as an escape for our fans from Mm. the craziness that's going on? So what was your Mm. mindset? Were you reflecting it or deflecting from it?
1: Some, uh, I try to not deflect as a default, you know, like try to be honest to yourself. Whatever comes out, comes out, of course. Uh, And I would say especially hazmat suit and maybe clouds dipping chrome to a certain extent. it's in there in some of the songs, the angst of what was going on and trying to deal with it. It is in, in some of the music, but what I felt was important is that for a while there, I think our worlds became very, very small, right? You know, like, um, you live a more isolated life. You could move around less. you talk to fewer people and our world was small. So i tried to consciously keep, uh, my world big and big enough to also include the, current state of mind that we were all in because of this but other i had other journeys in my life that kept going independently of the pandemic and all of that also fed into the music it made the album it's not due to the pandemic that this is a strangely spiritual album uh for us for instance that process was more of the keep the world big uh continue an exploration of life that was ongoing anyway so i mean it's i guess so it's a 2080 division, probably, but none of it, none of it I would call a deflection because I still, what we do still is very, very rooted in who we are and where we are in life at any given time. So, you know, it's not a, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not an album full of stories about people that aren't us, so to speak.
0: Bands had to decide. Do we want to quarantine together in a bubble and be creative? Uh, Some bands are lucky enough to have their members all close by. Mm. Then there were other bands who had international members and they weren't able to even be in the same country for long periods Mm. of time. How did that affect the band? Were you in Sweden? Were all of the members in the same country? Were you able to get together or did you do all of this electronically?
1: Well, the for the past almost nine years now I've been living in Helsinki, Finland. Um, uh, I met my wife there. So uh, so we had kind of gotten practice on doing some of the work apart anyway. Uh, but I would always come over, it, it, you know in the writing periods like we are basically we are a collect, very, a, very much a collective group. We work as a collective when it comes to finishing songs. But individually, we kind of start them on our own where especially me, Jonas and Tim are like song starters, like come up with the riffs and stuff and then present
0: That's one what idea or ask. ten what, ideas. What comes first, like riff, melody, lyric? Is it different for everybody?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like we I do. It's not a rule. Anyone is allowed to do lyrics in this band, but I have for the longest time done all of them. With some input here and there, suggestions and ideas, um, but uh, so that always comes. Music always comes first. Although, of course, I I see something and maybe make a note on the phone and try to collect ideas, but they are much much looser uh, than the. They don't really gel into becoming vocal, you know, real lyrics before uh, there's a song there. I might even. And, the, the looser the ideas are i end up using them more than sometimes i've been writing a little rhyme scheme of something four lines of something and, and this could be a chorus. and those i realize i rarely end up using those like uh because the musical the the vocal lines everything is such a reaction to what happens musically and because it's heavy metal fundamentally what we're doing It is guitar music, guitar driven, first and foremost. So, uh, yeah, so it's very rare that I hum something out and then build a guitar around it. It probably maybe has happened once ever because it's also fun and nice to do things in different ways. But definitely guitar first and foremost.
0: You're going to be in Boston on May 24th at the Paradise Rock Club, which is a very famous kind of old rock club in Boston where generations of rock stars have come through and Mm. one of the things that that club is known for is is kind of being like tight and giving you that rock traditional rock show kind of Mm. vibe where everyone's kind of packed Mm. in there together and for a lot of people through the pandemic that was the thing we missed the most
1: yeah yeah certainly we uh I think we were the first or maybe second European band to return to the United States, uh, it was barely post-pandemic. Like It was travel separate from the crew where mask, daily tests uh, show certificates of vaccinations, all the good stuff, of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, they would have, you know, the temperature test for the audience coming in or vaccine that is different in different states, of course. But once we were in there and people felt you know, safe enough to let go because supposedly people were hopefully responsible. Well, I did get COVID and had to, we had to postpone the like six shows of the tour, but we were, at least we were able to, <laughs> we made it pretty far and, uh, by being as careful as we were. And yeah, you could tell there was a special energy uh, that was amazing, very powerful, very deep, slightly melancholic because it's that thing of, the whole thing of not okay I don't think we really took it for granted before either but you get a really hard reminder of what of how cool it is and what this can mean you know because it's, yes entertainment is fun it's uh, it's uh, you know something to escape daily life with and all those things of course and those are very valid and then you have the deeper sense of community of belonging of do a participation of uh, it's like a congregate, congregate, congregation that uh, that is happening at the same time. I mean, a show done right works on multiple levels, you know. And uh, I think those those deeper values that comes with what a rock and roll show can be uh, hits hit even harder under the circumstances that were there.
0: Can we talk about your musical upbringing a little bit? Sure. So you were you born and raised in Sweden? Yeah. So I have a theory about music, and I want to test it out and Mm -hmm. see if it's an international theory, that when you're growing up, you get gifted the music that's around you, the music your parents have you listen to, your Mm -hmm. older siblings or your cool uncle. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. call that the soundtrack to your childhood. And then something happens in your development at some point where you hear something and go, wait, I like that, that's mine. And from then on, your musical identity becomes your own. So for you, what's the soundtrack of your childhood? And then what did you hear? What band, album, song was it that you said, oh, wait, hold on a second. I like this. This is mine. This is who I am moving forward.
1: Yeah. I think those two things, it's totally true what you're saying. Uh, I recognize myself in that, although it wasn't a huge diversion once, the once my stuff showed up and a lot of that has to do with that. It started through my older brother, uh, that part of it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I grew up in a household where uh, none of my parents played, but they were here a lot and it was, uh, from that first and foremost, the Beatles and the Kings were his favorites growing up. Uh, and and uh, once there was something about the Beatles on TV, I got, he could tell I got really hooked. So from eight years on, I was already... Yeah, it kind of went hand in hand there that, yeah, it is music from my childhood, what I'd heard in the house, but also quickly became mine. Like my music interest became was already pretty deep in that they had put me in front of a piano with a piano teacher when I was five and stuff. So I was already given that... So between that and a lot of classical music, and I would pretend to be a conductor standing in a chair, waving a bachelor around or something to Beethoven albums. Um, so and, and those things are still with me, um, especially especially the Beatles. I'm quite fanatic. And, and uh, yeah, through friends and stuff around right before hitting adolescence, um, harder rock comes into the picture it starts to build in the back of my head through other friends, parents or whatnot, the Black Sabbath the purple thing is starting to gel then the revolution happened that my brother had gotten into metal and from his room over here Especially all those, uh, all those Germans, especially uh, uh, Halloween and Blind Guardian, first and foremost. And Halloween was the first time I asked him to borrow a CD. He was on, in the car on the way home from some family vacation, and he, I thought you never ask, and you're gonna start with this. And I was keeper of the seven keys part two, and that is pretty much where I decided that I need to grow my hair out. And I was twelve, going on thirteen when that happened, and the journey begins there. And then, of course. As any addict, you go for heavier and heavier uh, substances to use. And uh, it's that typical journey of from from speed metal, power metal, and um, classic hard rock and heavy metal, start to go into the black and death metal stuff. And uh, as much as I like a lot of black metal, death metal is definitely more my musical home. And that's true also for the whole band, I think. Uh, no, I know it is. So, death metal plus the classics, um, the, the, from, I don't know, stuff released between 1970 and 1985 or something, is where we find our musical home most of the time. And then and just kept going. Like, I went also to, so, gymnasium is roughly the equivalent of a US high school. And in those years, I went to a, I was in a music class. So, half the classes were music related. Uh, band, uh, individual vocalists, arrangement, music theory, and whatnot. And in that environment with all those classmates being into whatever they were into and, uh, and everything, meant that it was a, a, a very eclectic place very early on. We, we were all very diverse in tastes and ins- sources of inspiration and stuff. And I think in Sweden overall, when it comes to like, having a musical upbringing, it's a very encouraged thing. I think the thing is, do you know what town Fogestra is? No. Exact exactly. exactly. Uh, that's where the hives are from. And uh, a lot of tiny cities in Sweden have their own little d- hives, you know. And uh, which means that it's that the world doesn't seem so far away from young aspiring musicians and the culture of of parents thinking it's a good thing for you to do in your free time. And Sweden is a very child-friendly country where you encourage kids to really find their path and stuff. And I think this social safety net also means you can kind of afford to crash, burn, and fail miserably in your early twenties and still go on to figure out what you're gonna do instead. You know, so there are all this like I I know I have many friends from many different countries and stop this guitar nonsense. You need to be a lawyer instead of whatever. Um, was never a part of really a part of any of our upbringings at the end of the day. I mean, there's maybe some some parents in the band had more question, questioning it more than others, but all in all it was very it's a very support supportive environment to pursue the arts, if you're Swedish, I would say
0: I think in America, you're you know you start getting asked at a very young age, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And it's Mm. so career driven that it doesn't leave a lot of that experimentation option for you to try things and fail before you, which which maybe is where like the midnight, the midlife crisis concept comes from where people end up that lawyer and then they get to 45 years old or 50 years old and go, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And then start taking piano lessons when they're 50
1: yeah which is also perfectly fine and good you know like it's it's never too late to change path anyway You're like you got one life why why not you know um but i believe i also i realized one huge distinction i think and i don't and i think it does something for people's drive because americans are usually very very driven like i feel like you have a very wide there's a there's a certain attitude that's shared by the greatest success stories of american culture and business that is shared between the great successes and the greatest failures. But it's just the go-get-it attitude. And I think kids are being told in the U.S., you can be anything. You can be everything. Everyone is a presidential astronaut, billionaire and and stuff. In Sweden, I have very strong memories of, you know, the principal speaking at school when we were in second grade or whatever. Like, remember kids, you're fine just the way you are. And which is you know kind of you're not because in any case you're usually gonna end up where you're gonna end up but i think it's it's a message that i like you're a valid human being no matter what you do like whatever you know a job is just a job even if you have a the best job like i have uh but if, if i wouldn't do this you know and if i wouldn't pursue an education or and would have a more menial you know do something that that on paper wouldn't look as attractive to people. I'm still 100% human being with a right to vote and a right to exist and a right to love and whoever I want to love, all those things. And that and, you fit
0: as part of a collective, that you're part of a yeah. community where every job is necessary.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in the best case of cases, that, of course, it's not, no, I don't want to describe this with two rose tinted glasses either. But to generalize, I believe that message sets a nice foundation of like just. Oh, this is fine, I'm fine and then you and then on top of that you find yourself, you find your path in life and maybe a healthier manner sometimes. Um, but I don't know like there's also I, I this is just me speculating out loud as we fell into this subject because it's hard to know what is a right or wrong you know but uh well culturally it's an interesting
0: conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because
0: the the detrimental part of what we're talking about from the American perspective is that Mm. if your self-worth is completely tied to your achievements and what you do, Mm. if that changes, if you lose your job, if your company goes belly up, uh, say you're an athlete and you get injured and can't do what you were known to do, it's like you don't exist anymore.
1: And that could also happen in Sweden. If that would happen to me now, uh, I would struggle with that too as well. I mean, saying these things out loud now to you in this conversation, <laughs> I hope, you know, helps water that seed in the back of the head. Should I ever need to use it? And of course it's very human it's, uh, to, to tie up your identity, to what your, to what keeps your hands busy throughout the day or also what relationships you're in and stuff. I know like if people, you know, if you break up a long-term relationship, it's like you feel like you just disappear, half of you disappeared, I think it's also very common. So, and the Western world in general, maybe the whole world actually have different versions of that to tie up your identity to something that uh, that we are kind of um, all, you know, doomed to do to a certain degree, and then we just, a at, at, best thing we probably can do is to exercise some kind of I don't know. Meditate and destroy our ego and realize we don't really even exist from time to time in the midst of all of this life on the go that that so many of us keep to be living, and just remember that it's all it's all it's all nonsense anyway. Then I kind of I like I like my particular flavor of nonsense that I get to spend my time dwelling in. Um, yeah I'm, I'm content with my position
0: <laughs> when you were when you were growing up and you're studying all these music classes in school mm. were you also growing up learning multiple languages at the same time when when well, did learning english become part of your upbringing
1: well sweden is one of the countries in europe that never dubbed movies children movies sure but uh we grew up with subtitles and we are a generation who got we get English. We, I started we started getting English in school from second or third third grade maybe. Uh, English classes started. But we also a modem was put into connected to our computer in the mid 90s and the internet is English first and foremost. Uh, so that was a training ground. I happen to like pro wrestling and as uh, so I would listen to English commentary. <laughs> And then the move is, you know, learning English from James Bond, Hulk Hogan, and uh, whatever people saying in chat rooms uh, helped. And then English is the, not the only language, but the first language of rock and roll as well. So that became a path in. And then in my case, my mom is German. So so I was spoon fed that as well. So I thought I was a language kind of guy, except now I've been trying to study uh, both italian and finnish and I, you know and uh, and i realized that oh no 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 i was given all of this for free but <laughs> you know for but for uh for the general public uh you know the culture influence uh having such a small language that it's beneficial to you know english keeps showing up everywhere in international circumstances like it's the latin of our age that is not just It's not so interesting that you speak English. You just speak it because you are where you are from. It's interesting when me and a guy from, I don't know, let's say Morocco meet in Thailand and can have a conversation on the lingua franca of our time. You know, that's cool.
0: There has been research that suggests that the same part of the brain controls language, math and musical ability. So obviously mm-hmm. you've proven to be fairly proficient with languages, even if Italian and Finnish are giving you a hard time right now.
1: And See, obviously Poco you're,
0: Apple.
1: huh? No, it's just Italian. I think that was little by little or something. Anyway, yeah. And, <laughs> Go ahead.
0: and then obviously you're proficient at music. Do you have an aptitude for math as well?
1: <sighs> I'm good at counting in my head, but no, like uh, it's, it, I didn't love that subject as a kid, so to speak. I, I see it being true with some people I know, and um, so I'm, I'm sure there's a connection in um, to some degree. Uh, I think you see patterns in things. Um, you're able to maybe break things down and define what's going, you know, what's going on, and organize. You organize sounds into structures that become a beat or a melody. You organize. I don't know the size of a room and you see the spaces and can count oh the lean in this many degrees the roof, their ceiling and from there is probably this tall and that tall so that means blah blah blah, blah Pythagoras uh whatever it's called in English. Uh, uh so sure I-, I can believe it because I also in that sense I have a knack for languages. I think that after I have to spend some time with it around me. It's not that I speak it automatically, but I start to sense the patterns and things and you know and people say, "Oh, wait, that words kind of sound like it would come from that word, that uh, Indo-European." Blah 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 blah. So, sure, but uh, no, I'm not a. And actually, yeah, no, but you know what? The guys in the band that struggle a bit more with language are much better at math. Uh, so, I <laughs> so got that one instead.
0: The Italian, I can only help you with the swears, because growing up, my Sicilian grandfather he he only taught us the swear words, the words we weren't supposed to know. <laughs> That was the only stuff we got gifted, mm. and it's the Americanized slang Italian, so it's like the dirty slang Italian, like, mm. the words aren't the same in Italy as they would be if you were...
1: Yeah, somehow you lose the E on salute. Yeah. Like it becomes salute. Yeah, But I think exactly. also Ameri- Americans want to turn uh, too many European things into French. <laughs> uh, my favorite story, some guy on a plane ordering a whiskey wants to go and live it. And let's see what it says. I think it's pronounced Glen LeVay. And I'm in Scotland right now, like I mentioned. And uh, Yeah. Glen LeVay and orange juice, please. I want to see <laughs> how many teeth I would lose.
0: Um, because you're a songwriter, this is a question that I ask all the songwriters on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime music fans get together, the, you know, you talk about your favorite song, album. What? It, this is a craft question. So from a songwriter's perspective, can you give me an example of a song from any artist or genre that you look at and say, man, that's a perfect example of great songwriting. A song that's so good you wish you wrote it, but you got to break it down and tell me why you think it's a great example of the craft of songwriting.
1: America by Simon Garfunkel is a great example, I think. A really... You know, I'm not a Dylan head, for instance, when it comes to like the great, great lyricists of the world. I just love how prosaic it, it their their things are while feel while being so incredibly musical. Like also in its time, you, more I think they were as a pop act of the '60s were I feel way more advanced than a lot of things in terms of how they're arranged or harmonies and and, and stuff and the lyrics. Uh, and the drama and how the melody goes hand in hand with the story being told. the enthusiasm and, and the whimsical silliness and the romance of, uh, of that dream and you know leaving somewhere in Michigan to head to New York to find America to find a big big town, big life in yourself. And the closer you get, it starts to be a bit scary and real. and you realize maybe you do this because you're lost in life and that narrative you can follow melodically. As well as lyrically, and it goes so hand in hand. And you know, Simon Garfunkel, of course, overall very gentle sounding group, but in, in within the framework of what they're doing, where there are not so many blast beats or breakdowns, uh, still this incredible dynamic. And uh, uh you know, so it really paints a picture. And then uh, how a simple line, relatively simple picture of and the moon rose over an open field can become so significant and powerful in the grand context of their little journey. Um, You know? And so, so that is one, Simon Garfunkel overall, I think is worth returning to over and over again.
0: We're going to see you on May 24th. Yeah. At the paradise. Super excited. And I I don't suppose you're going to have Lizzie Hale like crammed in your duffel bag. To make cameo uh, appearances on the tour because she shows up on the record, which is pretty badass. Yeah,
1: it is really badass. She's one of the greatest voices of our time, and really uh, did an amazing job singing, uh, singing that one. But you know, she has a job,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they are relentless tourers as well. So, so it might be hard. I hope we get to do that somewhere at some point. I think doing it on this headline tour of us throughout the u.s now and in, uh, in may might be hard but i hope i hope this starts we you know we know each other because we toured a little bit together and also met up on a couple of festivals so i mean we <sighs> should hopefully continue to meet up on a couple of festivals here and there and then i hope there's an impromptu do you remember the lyrics no okay here's the sheet come <laughs> you know like we'll really like that
0: Well, Dance Devil Dance is available everywhere and you'll be in Boston May 24th. Johannes, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much. See you in Boston.
0: There he is, Johannes Eckerstrom from Avatar. They'll be in Boston at the Paradise Rock Club on May 24th. You'll find the link to get tickets in the show notes of this episode. You'll also find all the links to find Johannes online, to find the Metal Break podcast online to find Avatar online and you'll find all of my links as well. You'll also find the link to this episode's corresponding playlist. I make a playlist that goes with every episode of the podcast that features all my guest music and all the songs and artists that we talked about in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday, you get the sit rep. The Situation Report rounds up all of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment updates, and you get it in around five minutes or so. Plus, you never know when we're gonna release a bonus episode. And you can head to mistresscarry.com to find more info on the podcast, the radio show, and my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. You'll also find my blog, my photo gallery, the concert calendar, and the online Mistress Carry shop, the Mistress Carry podcast, proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.